Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, we discuss the standoff between farmers groups and the central government currently underway in Delhi. As we're recording this on the 3rd of December, the center and the farmers groups, predominantly from Punjab and Haryana, but also now with representatives from other parts of the country, are holding their fourth round of talks. The farmers are, of course, protesting against the recent agricultural reforms passed by the government, which they fear will lead to the deregulation of crop pricing deny them fair remuneration for their produce and leave them at the mercy of corporations. The government, on the other hand, argues that the new laws will give farmers more autonomy in selling their produce and lead to better pricing, freeing them from unfair monopolies. So, we have discussed the merits or otherwise of all three farm bills introduced by the Centre in earlier episodes of the podcast. We'll link to some of those, but we take a more focused approach in this episode and we delve further into aspects of minimum support price and the APMC Mandi system, which regulates to varying extents agricultural trade within states and which the new laws seek to bypass. These are currently the most proximate to the talks between the farmers' groups and the government. And we also discuss a possible way forward for both sides as the negotiations continue. My guest on the podcast today is Professor R. Ramakumar, he teaches at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai. He's an expert on agriculture and also a regular columnist on these issues for the Hindu. Professor Ramakumar, thank you so much for joining us on the Hindus in Focus podcast today. Thank you, Jay. Right. So, um, as you see, much of the opposition from the protesting farmers uh, groups now seems to be to the uh, FPTC uh, for short. Uh, the full form is the Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Promotion and Facilitation Act. Uh, so in the main, even in uh, your article for us in the Hindu, which we link to along with this podcast, you speak mainly about the provisions in this act. So uh, just to start with, um, are the other two laws now not really that contentious then? Because Initial reports suggested that even the law on, you know, contract farming would be a major bone of contention with the farmers' groups. Chant, the all the three acts are in some way or the other contentious, in my view. Just that the so-called APMC Bypass Act is far more contentious than others. That's the first point I would like to make. Regarding the contract farming legislation that has been brought about, contract farming is a, a phenomenon that has existed in India for many years now but in an unregulated format. Some states have regulated it in some ways, but there has been no national level regulation on the subject, which is what the purported purpose of the whole legislation as part of the Free Farm Acts is actually uh, intended to. Now, uh, contract farming, uh, as you can see, uh, it, uh, covers certain types of crops in certain regions of India. It does not cover many crops in many regions of India and so on. The problem uh, with contract farming are uh, the following. But before the problem, let me uh, start talking about uh, the positive of contract farming. The positive of contract farming is that it allows some kind of price assurance to the farmer uh, 
probably even before showing itself because he enters into a contract with a prospective buyer. Now, that uh, is a positive of contract planning and that has to be welcomed. And that is one reason why many farmers actually uh, go into contract farming uh, agreements with companies voluntarily. However, there are a few problems with contract farming also, which is why a regulation is required. The first is that in many cases, because the company is a stronger party, the sponsor is a stronger party in the agreement, there is, uh, there are a large number of cases where the breach of contracts are practiced by companies. For example, the contract says that the company will buy from the farmer at rupees 10 per kilogram, but when the harvesting time comes, the market price falls to something like 7 rupees per kilogram and the company uh, prefers to go to the market and buy it at 7 rather than uh, uh, fulfill the contract, suffer a loss and buy it from the farmer. So, and, and they breach the contract as a result. And the farmer has no uh, appropriate method of grievance redressal in such cases. He can go to the court uh, technically, but you know, legal processes are very cumbersome, they're expensive, the company will have a battery of lawyers and so on, and uh, the farmer's uh, position will be disadvantaged as a result. So this is one problem, breach of contract on the farm or part of the company. The second problem uh, with contract farming is that in many cases, contracts, contracts are signed with individual farmers and, uh, and not group farmers. And this creates a problem of uh, insufficient bargaining power uh, on the part of the farmer. So the question is, you need a regulation for contract farming. The problem is, what is that regulation? What is a good regulation? The uh, problem with the Farm Act has been, particularly the one related to contract farming, it has been that it is not a good regulation. It does not sufficiently protect the farmers from breach of contracts. It does not sufficiently protect the farmer from the different kinds of exploitative tendencies that you see in contract farming experiments across the world. That is a problem with the contract farming bill. But then the pro it may not have become a, a, a rallying point uh, in some of these struggles. That's probably because it's a voluntary thing and uh, it is not widely practiced at the moment. So it, you know, farmers don't quite feel it to be a proximate issue. Uh, so to say, that might be one reason why it looks like it has gone to the background, but it is not actually uh, something that is in the background. This other bill is related to the amendment of the amendment to the Essential Commodities Act. Here, what the government has done is it has taken over, uh, it has taken uh, away all the stocking limits for traders uh, with regard to storage of uh, agricultural products, which means that the government thinks that it will incentivize. Uh, the coming in of uh, private investment into storage and warehousing now that there are no uh, stock limits uh, for traders. Uh, now, while this is uh, uh, this appears to be a positive measure and so on, my problem in this legislation has been that I do not think private investment in storage and warehousing is throttled by stock limits in the first place. I do not think that is a reason why private investment in uh, storage and warehousing has not come in adequate amounts. Uh, the reason, uh, 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 the real reason, in my view, is that surplus of agricultural produce in India is largely scattered and fragmented across space and across crops. There is enormous heterogeneity in the cropping pattern, for example, uh, uh, spread across small and marginal farmers in India. So, for private investment to flow into a sector, uh, some amount of homogeneity. In the kind of surplus crop as well as facilities for 
aggregation across small producers are necessary. The government is trying to promote schemes like one district, one crop, farm producer organizations, etc., to promote homogeneity in cropping patterns. Uh, however, these have not found success beyond the threshold in most states of India. This is why I think uh, significantly higher private investment is unlikely to enter the sector despite what, what the government has done with the farm acts. Just one more point where the farmers have uh, some amount of concern. Uh, a few private corporate players are trying to create a foothold in potential areas in storage and warehousing. Already, private companies like Adani Group have increased their investment in storage and warehousing to make full use of emerging opportunities. For example, right. in 2018, uh, Adani Logistics Limited acquired about a 40% stake in Snowman Logistics Limited for about rupees 300 crore. Snowman Logistics is a market leader in cold chain logistics with over 30% of the capacity amongst uh, integrated organized cold chain service providers in India. So these are uh, issues of concern for farmers where they think that when these companies have an, an, uh, some kind of a foothold in uh, cold chains, warehouses, storage facilities, etc., they will also end up deciding the prices of produce. And in a situation where the minimum support price is not quite available to all farmers, the rise in minimum support prices is minimum these days and so on, uh, the fear multiplies. So these are concerns regarding the other two uh, legislations which are there, but I agree with you that they are not in the forefront now because the APMC Bypass Act and its issues have taken uh, some kind of a proximate role in representing the concerns of farmers during this project. Right. Yeah, I know. But it's interesting because, um, you know, though these uh, the concerns about the other two acts are not exactly proximate, as you put it, they do tie into this larger concern about um, about private players coming into agriculture and perhaps disadvantaging farmers. Yes. Um, but let's let's just move on to talking about uh, the APMC Mondays provision under the FPTC. Uh, so the FTPC basically it permits sale and purchase of farm produce outside these mandis because it sees these APMC mandis as um, as monopolies. So um, yet farmers, especially in Punjab and Haryana, are not really convinced by this argument that it you know provides them this freedom of choice to sell to anyone and to anywhere. So you know what's the major disconnect here, and is the law flawed in the way that it views the role of these mandis? Look. What the APMC Bypass Act, as, a, as many call it, uh, yeah. actually intends to is to put in place a demand uh, which has been there for many years on the part of a set of economists who believe in a certain free market ideology, also international organizations and so on, uh, which is that the government should focus on diversification of the cropping pattern in India, which should focus on uh, the uh, popularization of high-value fruits, vegetables, flowers, etc. in the cropping pattern, which are also export-oriented, uh, which are also high-value. According to the government and these pro uh, and the propagators of this idea, uh, this kind of uh, uh, diversification of the cropping pattern cannot be brought about with the predominance of small and marginal farmers that we have today because there is no economies of scale uh, on the ground, uh, either in production or in sale or in marketing, which has to be brought about. And that is why two policy pathways have been uh, thought about in order to promote this diversification of cropping pattern away from rice, wheat, etc., towards high-value export-oriented crops like fruits, vegetables, flowers, etc. One policy pathway has been corporate farming, where the company directly purchases or leases in land 
uh, of a small a large extent from many farmers 400 acres 500 acres and so on and directly cultivates and whatever it exports or it sells to a private market of its own it's completely up to it this is different from contract farming where there is no exchange or lease of land involved where a company signs a contract with a producer and the producer agrees to sell a predetermined quantity a predetermined quality at a predetermined price this is contract farming where the company does not enter into direct production this law that we are talking about largely deals with the second part the problem here is been that in such cases the government argues that if there are laws in the country which restrict the uh, uh, emergence of private markets rural collection centers and so on outside the apmc limits then it acts as a disincentive it acts as a constraint that is right the government is looking at the reform of apmc acts as a solution but the uh, question here is uh, what are the claims that the government is making the government is primarily saying that a it will provide farmers with more freedom to choose but the point is that kind of freedom is already available to most farmers outside punjab haryana western up etc where large amounts of rice and wheat are directly procured by the government for distribution to other parts of the country if you look at the all india picture not more than 30% of paddy not more than 45% of wheat not more than 40% of maize not more than 60% of soybean enters the mandis directly from the farmers they are already sold to a private trader in the village or an input dealer in the village primarily because uh, there are no uh, facilities for procurement available in most states of india in most villages of those states this means that the freedom to sell to whoever you want to sell to is already de facto present in most states of india number 1 number 2 uh, you will see that most states have already allowed one or the other provisions of these acts that are now put forward by the center and uh, they have allowed for the emergence of private markets etc 18 states have amended their apmc acts already to allow for the establishment of private markets outside apmc 19 states have amended their apmc acts to allow for direct purchase of agricultural produce from farmers 20 states have amended their apmc acts to allow for contract farming so in many cases this facility legal uh, permission to do uh, established markets outside the apmc etc already exists but we see that no private investment at any significant level has been forthcoming in any of these states bihar for example annulled its apmc act in 2006 but there has been almost no private investment in agricultural markets in uh, bihar maharashtra it delisted fruits and veg- vegetables from the apmc market ambit in 2016 very little private investment has come in maharashtra uh, uh, of course it has come in some pockets but not outside those pockets uh, in the state uh, in the establishment of private markets or rural collection centers so that so so, so the argument that uh, farmers will have more freedom to choose is a bit uh, out of place because in many cases that uh, freedom already exists de facto and number 2 wherever de jure also it exists uh, no private investment has been seen to be forthcoming what is the reason for it that links to the second claim of the farmer uh, of the government i'm sorry which is the farmers will get a better price uh, from these uh, uh, policy changes uh, now when will the farmer get a better price the government says that now that apmc uh, mandis will go out of the picture 
the whole mandi tax structure that existed before will disappear in punjab and all it is up to 6% uh, because this mandi tax will disappear and no taxes will be there in these private markets uh, all these mandi tax will accrue as a better price to the farmer and that is a positive of the legislation but what the government or the propagators of this uh, uh, argument miss is that if the mandis disappear somebody will have to go to the village and uh, procure or buy the produce from the farmers so company will have to go into a village open a collection center appoint staff there uh, 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 purchase commodities from the farmers uh, it has to uh, grade it it has to store it it has to transport it it has to bring it to a city where a retail chain like lands fresh or etc will purchase it or maybe it's their own collection center uh, and they will have uh, uh, urban transportation costs involved within the city and so on and so forth all these will become transaction costs which are likely to take the place of the old mandi taxes only if the transaction costs such incurred are lower than the mandi tax is there any theoretical possibility of the farmer getting a better price but even here it is doubtful because the uh, the companies that are involved do not have cost but they also charge margins so if private corporate companies start taking more margins alongside high costs that already exist then it is very unlikely that the farmer will get a better price so this whole argument is contingent on whether transaction costs and margins in the business will be substantially low than under the current mandi tax infrastructure so what is the uh, uh, worry of the farmers or what is the worry of the protesting farmers here it is the following that if mandis disappear or are weakened and if private markets come indeed then there is no uh, provision there is no assurance that these private markets that come up will actually pay a remunerative price to the farmers such as the msp the mandis also don't pay msp always but there is some amount of price signaling that exists in the mandis as to uh, the incorporation of the msp into the price formation process that exists so that is number 1 number 2 if mandis are weakened and private markets do not come because of high transaction costs then it's going to be a, a, the bad situation will become worse because the mandi has disappeared and no private market has come which would mean that you will go, you are going to see a large scale entry of unscrupulous unregulated traders of the old zona into the business which will actually make a as i said the make a bad situation worse whichever way you look at it with if private investments come or private inv- inv- investments do not come if the mandis become weakened then it's always a bad deal for the farmer the concern of the farmers that this structure will survive uh, 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 msp structure will survive you will you are going to get a confirmed msp for most of your crops and so on that kind of assurance has not been given by the government that kind of confidence is not shared by farmers as a result the struggle continues right i uh, just just to just to add one point here if you could just expand a little bit on the uh, the way that msp works in i understand there's especially a concern for farmers in punjab and haryana because uh, much of the procurement happens at apmc mandis for their crops at msp and the fear is that if uh, this structure weakens you know as you said they will be uh, at the mercy of unscrupulous traders so is this a concern that is particular particular to this region and um, and not to others which is why you're seeing most of the protests in punjab and haryana in particular partly yes because uh, most of the pro- produce of paddy and wheat 
in Punjab, Haryana, Western UP, etc. are directly procured by the government at the MSP. Number two, most of this procurement takes place through the mandis. So mandis and MSPs are connected uh, very closely uh, uh, with the procurement process uh, in states like Punjab, Haryana and Western UP. And that is why you see the intensity of the struggle uh, you will see is much more in uh, states like Punjab, Haryana and Western UP. Coming to MSPs proper, there is there are three sets of fears in the farmers' minds, uh, which have uh, uh, exacerbated the uh, lack of trust between farmer farmer movements and this government. The first is the following: if you look at uh, this government and the previous governments that existed, you will see that the growth rate of MSPs uh, under this government is far lower than the growth rate of MSPs under previous governments. If you take Paddy. And if you take 2010 and 14 as one period and 2014 and 2020 as the second period, you will see that Paddy MSP grew at 9.5% earlier. It is now growing at 5.2%. Wheat MSP grew at uh, about 8% earlier. It is now growing at 5% only. But throughout this period, you will see that costs of cultivation have been rising very rapidly. So uh, profitability levels are not, not quite matching with rising costs of living. Even during the COVID year, the MSPs for paddy and wheat were raised by just 2.9% and 2.6%, which is the lowest growth rate of MSPs in over one decade in India. That is the first set of concerns that the farmers have. The second set of concerns farmers have is that the government has not fixed the MSP as promised in the Swaminathan Commission report of 2006 at 50% above the C2 cost of production. The government has not yet done that. As a result, uh, uh, the method of fixation of MSP has meant that farmers suffer a loss of something like rupees 200 to 500 rupees per quintal in many of the major crops. Thirdly, there is a lot of fear that open-ended procurement in states like Punjab, Haryana will be put to an end by this government. So what is open-ended procurement? Open-ended procurement means that whatever quantity of food grains is offered by the farmers for sale to the government, if it is within the stipulated procurement period and if it is conforming to the quality specifications prescribed are indeed purchased by the government in its full quantity. The government doesn't say that there is a quota on procurement. It says whatever quantity you bring, we buy. This is open-ended procurement. The CACP or the Commission for Agricultural Costs and Prices has been recommending to the government over the last two years that open-ended procurement of food grains should end and number two, the center should discourage states that provide a bonus over and above MSP. So this, these are major concerns related to MSPs. These are signals coming from policymakers, official bodies, institutions, etc., uh, which, uh, which sort of uh, intensify the fears among farmers that this government is not quite committed to the sustenance of the MSP structure as in the past. This has also... Uh, added fears among the farmers as to what is going to happen to procurement system in the future, what is going to happen to MSP system in the future. And this, in some sense, put a question mark over the very future of agrarian prosperity in Punjab, Haryana, Western UP, etc. So, of course, farmers from those regions are more agitated, more concerned about these policy changes compared to other regions. But at the same time, if you see the uh, nature of the struggle that is uh, evolving in Delhi, you will see that farmers from many states, Madhya Pradesh, Maharashtra, uh, Bihar, uh, etc., are flowing into Delhi 
uh, along with farmers from Punjab, Haryana, and Western UP. And the, there is some amount of uh, cross-country solidarity that is emerging with the farmers' movement. So at one level, you can say that some of the uh, concerns are very proximate to Punjab, Haryana, and Western UP. But at the same time, you cannot deny that there is enormous amount of solidarity that is building up across the farming community, across the country also. Right. Um, so, you know, th- th- there is th- there is going to be some discussion between uh, the farmers and the government. Um, what do you think? Wh- what do you think could be the structure of this discussion? Um, could something could the negotiations basically be centered around the functioning and strengthening of the APMC system? Or uh, will MSP really emerge as a major stumbling block, um, something that the farmers might want uh, as a legal guarantee, perhaps? Both are important. Uh, I, I think, in my view, both the government and the farming community have to agree to a set of common points. One, I think, the government, to begin with, has to understand that the concerns of farmers are genuine. It made a mistake by going for these three ordinances first and then three legislations at the central level and legislating upon what are rightfully the state's affairs, the state list. The government has to accept that it made a huge mistake by taking over the roles of the states, which it should not have done, number one. That will, in, that will itself uh, save a lot of trouble to the government. Number two is that the discussions have to begin from the point that you actually have a serious shortage of mandis in India today, which is again one major area of concern for the farmers. You need at least 10,000 mandis in India uh, by a conservative estimate, while you have only about less than 7,000 mandis in India. So the number of mandis will have to increase. Uh, the, the operation of the uh, the procurement operations of the government within these mandis will have to expand. It has to uh, increase to more regions. It has to increase to more crops. Uh, the government will have to promise the farmers that it will fix the MSP according to the Swaminathan formula. The government should also uh, tell the farmers that uh, because we have we we'll, we are going to expand procurement in this form, we will also ensure that this um, uh, procured food grains are effectively and ably distributed to the poor in the country through a universal public distribution system. The promise from the government should come uh, to this effect that it is committed to the Mandi system and it will actually expand the Mandi system, not restrict it, as uh, Irmila Sitaraman said in a statement in November 2019. She said that the states should reject and dismantle APMCs. That position should be rejected. And the government should actually commit itself to expanding Mandi's number and also uh, commit to investing in Mandi infrastructure, in storage, processing, etc. The second is that farmers will have to understand and agree to this point that the current APMC system has a lot of flaws. Uh, There is a proliferation of commission agents. Uh, Taxes are very high in some states. All that have to be rationalized. And so APMCs need some amount of internal reform to ease the entry of uh, new players, uh, reduce trade collusion, uh, link up uh, mandis across India with national e-trading platforms, uh, the introduction of unified national licenses for traders. All that are positive. All those are positive uh, interventions which should be welcomed by the farming community also. Uh, So in this sense, there can be convergence of thoughts between the government and the farmers. And I think if the discussion proceeds or starts at least from this point, there uh, there is scope for enormous progress uh, towards resolving this stalemate.
All right, we'll wrap up the discussion there. Professor Ramkumar, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of InFocus and for explaining these uh, issues in such detail. And thank you for making time for us. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for inviting me and it was a pleasure talking to you. InFocus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for InFocus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.